Amen. Uh, thank you, Justin. I appreciate you. Appreciate uh, you guys being here this morning. Uh, my name is Todd Crosby, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church. And uh, having been on sabbatical in uh, 2021, uh, it has been a been a while since I stood in this uh, very sacred spot. And so, I just want to say how grateful I am uh, to be here with you this morning and to be able to share with you from God's Word, as it is always a pleasure to do so. Uh, today, we find ourselves in Psalm 5, as we are continuing in our Summer in the Psalm series. So if you would, please turn with me uh, to Psalm 5 this morning, and we're going to read through this. Psalm chapter 5 says this, To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your, straight, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their, their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels, because of the abundance of their transgressions, tra cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your precious and holy word that we have before us this morning. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see and that you would reveal and not conceal things from us. Pray, Lord Jesus, for uh, our time together. I pray that this weak vessel would be used for your honor and glory and that your name would be proclaimed and your excellencies be made manifest before us. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we've been going through the Psalms these past several weeks, uh, we have learned that there are several different types of Psalms, if you were to categorize them. You know, for instance, there are Psalms of Thanksgiving. You know, these are the Psalms that remind us of God's blessings and his goodness, and they bring forth to us a response of action of expressing thanks and gratitude to God. And then there are the enthronement psalms, which describe God's sovereignty and his rule. There are the wisdom psalms that instruct us in God's will and his uh, desires for our life. Then there are the imprecatory psalms that invoke God's wrath and judgment upon his enemies. Now today we find ourselves in Psalm 5, which can be described as a psalm of lament. Uh, the psalms of lament are meant to remind us of our need for God. And many times, it is our need for his deliverance. 
The Psalms of Lament, they comprise of the largest portion of all the types of psalms. One commentator says this regarding the psalms, says, The basic theme of psalms is living real life in the real world, where two dimensions operate simultaneously. Number one, a horizontal or temporal reality. And number two, a vertical or transcendent reality, without denying the pain of the earthly dimension. The people of God are to live joyfully and dependently on the person and promises standing behind the heavenly slash eternal dimension. All cycles of human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing human complaints, confidence, prayers, or praise to Israel's sovereign Lord. You know, given that definition, uh, a psalm of lament is something that is uh, very personal to me presently in my life. You know, for reasons unknown to God, uh, for the past several years, God has been teaching me a very important lesson, a very uh, deep lesson in that I need him. I need him. I am completely and utterly dependent upon God in everything that I think, say, or do. It's interesting because God does this in my life. I've seen a pattern throughout my life where he takes these times, maybe it's because I can only handle one thing at a time, but... Just over and over, God, God will teach me these lessons in growing me in my sanctification. You know, for instance, several years ago, there was just a season in which God was teaching me over and over and over again that my identity, my worth, is in being a child of God. It was not in being a dad. It was not in being a, a husband, an employee. It was not being an elder at a church, but rather my identity, my worth, my value was in being the fact that I am a child of God. And as he brought me through that season, it brought so much peace, so much confidence, and took so much weight off my shoulders, and I was able to put it to the side because my worth is in him. But currently, that season is one in which he is teaching me over and over and over again that I need him. And we see that in our psalms of lament. Now, I'm realizing that to such an extent that I, I need him to walk. I need him to breathe. I need him to sleep. I need him in my cognitive thinking. And I'm constantly reminded that I, I need God. I absolutely need him to such an extent that every morning before my feet touch the ground, when I get out of bed, that I am reminded that I need him, and I give him thanks, and I ask for his provision and protection over every single day. And I really cling to, and I'm driven to, something we've heard a thousand times in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And as he reveals to me my need for him, more and more that verse means so much. So I do truly see this as a gift from God, that he would be so gracious to slow down and to teach you know, this, this guy these lessons in life and that he would be so gracious to grow me in my sanctification. But in Psalm 5, as with the other Psalms of Lament, we see before us a pattern, a blueprint, shall we say, as to how to individually and corporately to give lament, to give a proper uh, expression of our need for God. And it is my hope today that uh, it equips you as you face times in your life of trial, as you face times where you need God, as you face times of uh, whatever it may be in your life that would cause you to cry out, 
Why, O oh Lord, why is this happening? Why has this taken place? I pray that it is an encouragement to you and that it would give you the tools in which to give proper lament to God. So let's jump in. So as we look through this psalm of lament, and as we look through this pattern, this blueprint, shall we say, what is one of the things that we see here as far as how we are to give proper lament? Well, one of the first things that you see is that we are to call upon God by name. We are to call upon him by name. David says, O oh Lord, consider my groaning. You know, as we learned last year, as we looked through the book of Exodus, we learned that whenever you see in the Old Testament the term Lord in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is a way in which the English translators has, have translated the Hebrew Yahweh. And now this is the personal name of God in which he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. You know, several times in this psalm alone, we see this. If you were to pull up your Bible, you would see it really sticks out to you. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. But specifically, we see David say, Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Lead me, oh, Lord, in your righteousness. Oh, Lord, you cover him with favor as with the shield. So God has revealed to us his personal name, and he has invited us to call upon his personal name in our times of need and distress. So I think we must ask the question, well, why is this? Why has God revealed this to us? Why has he revealed his personal name to us? Well, it tells us that God is not some distant God who's not involved nor cares about his creation, but rather he does hear us. He does care for us, and he is near to us. He wants us to draw near to him, and he will draw near to us. Simply put, God desires intimacy. God desires intimacy with us. You think about that. What a wonderful thought that that is, that the sovereign creator of the universe desires intimacy with his creation. You know, we see this you know, in the garden, as he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, we see this intimacy between the Creator and his creation. And that's why we groan now, because that relationship and that intimacy has been broken. You know, Psalm 34, 18 states, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, when we are brokenhearted and we cry out to God in our lament, he is near to us in those times, nearer than what we could ever possibly imagine. You know, this is contrary to what many other religions, if not all religions, would teach us. Because, you know, for instance, the deists would tell us that God created. There is a God, but he created everything, and then he steps away, and he's not involved in everyday life. The Muslim, for instance, would tell us that God is not relational to this extent, that God is transcendent, meaning that he is above all, but he is not imminent, meaning that he is in all. That is not in their theology. You know, in fact, for many Jews of that day, the idea of God being this relational was not merely foreign to them, but it was downright blasphemous in many situations, to such an extent that when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven, this was something that was very revolutionary and controversial. 
to such an extent that many times the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. John 5.18 states, This is why the Jews were seeking to, all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. God does desire relationship. He desires intimacy. You know, don't get me wrong. We must understand that God does not need us, but he does desire us. Let's make sure we understand that. He is perfectly complete within a trinity. But within the trinity, they're inviting us in. The God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, invites us to be a part of this precious intimacy that they share. You know, so taking this into account, that God does desire intimacy, he does desire relationship, it should bring us comfort. And it should give us an understanding that he is not far away, that he is near to us in our times of lament. And so we are to call upon him by name when we cry out to him. We are to call out to him by the name that is above every name, the name Jesus Christ. We know that through scripture. So we should seek intimacy with the Lord. But next, what do we see in our pattern of lament? We see that when we call upon him by name, but we're also to call upon him by who he is. What are his attributes? What is his character? What is his nature as revealed to us uh, in creation and specifically in Scripture? You know, as King, King David gives his lament here, we don't know if this is during the time of Saul or the time of Absalom or, or whatever troubles it was. But what we do know and is made very clear to us is that the text reveals to us an attribute of God, and that would be his holiness. Very specifically, David says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. You know, we live in a time where I find myself, you know, wondering why do we not call upon and teach upon and why do we not focus on the holiness of God? As we look at the culture around us, you may wonder that. Instead, many people want to make God into a benevolent grandfather that simply winks at sin. Well, you choose not to focus on and ponder upon the holiness of God. And we really stay away from verses like Psalm 711 that says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. We must understand that God is holy. And what does that mean for God to be holy? Well, very simply at its root, to be holy is to be separate. You know, God is separate in what way? Well, first, God is separate from his creation. He is the creator, and we are the creation. There is a distinctness there, there with God and from us. But also, here, very specifically, we see that God is distinct and separate in the fact that he cannot be in the presence of sin. He is separate from sin and sinners. You know, we must understand this. It cannot be in his presence. We cannot be in his presence because if for a millisecond, friends, if we were in his presence, he would cease to be God. If sin was in his presence for that moment, he would cease to be God. 
and he would cease to be holy. This should terrify us. Why? Because if there's anything that we learn from Scripture, it is that God is holy and we are not. We are sinful. He is not. We are evil by nature. And so if we cannot be in his presence, but if we were, what would happen? One of two things would happen if we were in his presence. As stated, God would cease to be holy, and he would cease to be God in that moment. But additionally, or rather, if we were in his presence, we would be utterly destroyed. We would come apart at the seams. The trauma of God's holiness, it should cause us to, you know, at our core to be shaken. Because we should realize that we are separate from him. But praise be to God, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we can be in the presence of God. And that is what David is saying here. You know, this is the gospel that Jesus has removed, is removing, and one day will remove forever everything that separates us from God. Verse 7 tells us, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, it's because of that, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. You see, it's because of God's love that we can be in his presence. It is through his love that we are able to do that. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love because with him, we can, with a holy, reverent fear, dwell with him. And even more so to his glory, he dwells with us. He dwells within us. You know, calling upon this attribute of God's love and understanding that it is because of that and is through that, he can be in the presence of God. He can be in his dwelling. And this no doubt would have been comforting to David. And so when we give our lament, friends, when we are in those times of distress or heartache, we should call upon and focus upon the attributes of God. Be reminded of his faithfulness. Be reminded of his sovereignty. Be reminded of his holiness. Be reminded of his omnipotence, his omniscience. Every attribute of God, call upon that. Be reminded of who he is. And in those times, in those moments, we will be comforted knowing who he is. So, we're to call upon his name in our lament. We're to call upon who he is, but also we're to call upon what he does. You know, when we call upon what he does, we, we see the verbs in the text. We see the action words. So how do we see God specifically working on behalf of his people here? David says, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. What a comforting thought. God hears us. He hears us. You know, God is not like Baal on Mount Carmel that is some deaf, dumb idol that's dead, does not have life in it. God is the living God. He hears us. This should give us comfort. And not only does he hear our words of lament, but he also hears our groanings. David says, Oh Lord, consider my groaning. Romans 8.26 says this, says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us 
in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He is the living God who hears us. He is not deaf to your needs. He is not deaf to your distress in your times of trouble. Even to such an extent that when we can't even express our heartache to him, he hears us. But what else does God do? God executes justice. It says, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. You know, I don't know about you, but I find myself more and more each day praying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because when you see a world where right is wrong and wrong is right and up is down and left is right, you know, I find myself praying, come, Lord Jesus, come. And there is something in us that we, we understand the need for justice. God, make things right. You know, this should be a comfort to you, knowing that one day God will make all things right. He will right every wrong. And if we look and see that he does these things and he will do these things, it should bring us comfort. You know, as I give my prayer of come Lord Jesus come, I am grateful though in those moments that God will bring his justice in his time and in his own way. Because if he were to do things prematurely, Dear friends, we may not be here today. We have all been recipients of God's grace and mercy because he is long-suffering and he is patient. You know, praise be to him for that. But one day he will bring judgment and he will make things right in his own time and his own way. We must trust in that. But also, how do we see God uh, working on behalf of us? We see that he leads us. David says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. God leads us in our times of trouble and distress. But how does he do that? He does that through his word. For it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it is through his word that we know his will, we know his desire. For us, we know his uh, will for our life and that should bring us comfort in those times of distress and so it's important that we be entrenched in his word friends we are not to seek his will outside of his word it is through his word that we know his will for our lives and this is how he leads us so why would we look anywhere else but also he blesses the righteous for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You know, many times we, speak, we rightly speak out against uh, the lies that are propagated from the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The things of name it and claim it and the, as the blessings are driven there. And it's right to speak out against that, but sometimes maybe we throw the ba baby out with the bathwater. Because the fact of the matter is, is there is immense blessings in being a child of God. And that is good and is right. may not always be what we think in the beginning, but he does bless us. There is blessings for those who are his. And we shouldn't shy away from that. We should proclaim that, that there are blessings when we are living in the center of God's will. 
there's great blessings there. So these are the things that the text here specifically teach us of what God does. But simply put, we should be reminded and remember what God does. How is he acting on behalf of his people? He's not idle, friends. If he has done things in the past, may we know that he is doing things now and he will do things in the future. But just be reminded of that fact in your lament, knowing that he is at work on behalf of his people. So as we reorient our lament and focusing it on God, what is our response? What can we learn here from the text as we call upon God by name, as we look and see his attributes, as we are reminded of what he's done and what he has promised that he will do in the future? How are, to, how are we to respond? You know, first of all, in the text, we can see that we are to commit ourselves to him. David says, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. You know, to seek God early is to seek him earnestly. We should not wait till the end of the day before we call out to God by name and be reminded of who he is and what he has done. We should seek God early and we should seek him earnestly. We should be proactive, not reactive in our calling out to him. And we should make our sacrifice to him. But what is that sacrifice? You know, it's ourselves. You know, Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice of God, sacrifices of God, are a broken spirit. It is our broken spirit. That is what pleases God, broken over our sin, seeing our bankruptcy before him. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are to commit ourselves to him. This is how we respond in mind, body, and soul. But next, we see that we are to have faith in his steadfast, abundant love. David says, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David here has faith in God's love and acknowledges that he has access to God's dwelling because of God's love. We should respond by having faith in that. We should have faith in his love, even when we sin. Oftentimes when we sin, we do question God's love. Can he really love me after I've sinned like this? We feel that guilt. But we should be reminded that his love is unshakable. It is not easily shaken. It is steadfast. And not only that, it is abundant. But we should have faith and trust in God's love. Much like if we were to jump out of an airplane, we should be trusting in that parachute. Right? Otherwise, we're just flapping our arms trying to fly, depending on ourselves. But no, we should trust in his steadfast love. 
but the climax of our response to who he is and what he has done is reverent worship. David says, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. you know, even in our lament, in our complaint, in our expressing, why, oh God, why is this happening? I don't understand. We should worship. And we are worshiping in that moment when we give proper lament to him. You know, so many times we see in the Psalms where whoever is writing the Psalm will do, have this same pattern. They'll do the same thing where they'll begin with, why, God, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? There's a, a level of complaint and raw emotion there with this person who's writing this Psalm. But by the end of it, you see worship. And you're like, what's going on here? How did they go from this to this? So when we are giving proper lament, it should ultimately lead us to worship. But lastly, how are we to respond? With rejoicing. Because out of re worship comes rejoicing. David says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. We should rejoice in knowing that God hears us. Rejoice in knowing that we can dwell in his house, in his presence, because of his steadfast love. Rejoice in knowing that he dwells within us. Rejoice because of who he is and what he has done. Rejoice because it is finished. You know, it is good and it is right, friends, to give proper lament. And we should not be afraid to do so. Because we misunderstand, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world where things do not go as we would hope that they would. We do. And it should break our hearts when these things happen in our lives. And the list could go on and on as I sit here and I look out to you guys I know of the many things that go on in our lives that just break our hearts. And it is it's tragic. Loss of a loved one. You know, you think of what's happened in eastern Kentucky. Why, oh God, why is this happening? You know, we, it is proper to give lament. And it is glorifying to God when we give it properly is taught to us in this pattern of lament that we see here in Psalm 5. You know, we do live in this broken world. But here's the thing, friends. When we give proper lament, it does glorify God, but it is also a powerful witness to those around us. Because it is in our times of lament and those times of distress, those times of heartbreak and tragic things that happen in our life, it is in those times that the world around us is watching. It is in those times that people are watching us and, and we have a little bit of street cred there. We have credibility amongst us and they're like, man, that, that is terrible what happened to them. When you think about what has happened in eastern Kentucky right now, no doubt the world is watching, you know, some of our friends from Africa have texted me and asked about this. 
you know, I hope your, your family and friends are okay, they said. You know, the world is watching. They are seeing these things. And it is in those times, friends, that we can have a very, very powerful witness. And may we not forget that. So it is good, and it is right to give lament in our times of distress. But may we not just stay in that lament, but may we transition to worship in rejoicing because he has not left us there. So, I want to conclude today with uh, looking at a beautiful lament, one of the most beautiful laments that you see in Scripture. And so if you would, please turn with me to John 17. In John 17, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see Jesus giving lament. You see him crying out to God. He's given us a pattern of lament here as well. And we can see Jesus following this pattern. I'm not going to read you the entire chapter there, but I do want you to follow along with me as you, as you just go through this. But I want you to look at these things and, and, and kind of just look at the text and see how Jesus is giving lament. But in this, uh, in the garden, in the high priestly prayer, we can see how Jesus calls upon the intimacy between himself and the Father as he repeatedly calls out to God his Father. He begins by simply saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. To further illustrate the intimacy between God the Father and God the Son, we read later, that he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Later, we see Jesus making intercession on our behalf. He calls upon the Father by name. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He calls upon that intimacy when he says, that they may, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Six times in the high priestly prayer of Jesus before he is going to be crucified, as he is Sweating drops of blood, he calls upon the Father by name. He, he calls upon that intimacy that they share. But how does Jesus call upon the attributes of God? You know, in this high priestly prayer, we can see that Jesus calls upon the exclusivity of God when he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then he calls upon the eternality of God. And he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And he calls upon God as Holy Father, Righteous Father. He is perfectly one. But you can see Jesus call upon these attributes of God following the same pattern that he ultimately laid out in Psalm 5. But lastly, how do we see Jesus call upon what God has done? Look at the text here. Look at the verbs. 
you know, the works of God are almost too many to count here, but to go through them, we would see that God glorifies the Son. He gives authority. He gives eternal life. He sent the Son. He makes his name known through his Son. He prays for us. He keeps us. He guards us. He gives us his word. He sanctifies us in the truth. He gives us the glory that the Father gives him. He loves us. He desires for us to be with him in heaven to see his glory. And the list could go on and on, even in this very text. Simply put, Jesus calls upon the things that God has done and is doing and one day will do. He is at work on behalf of his people. And in this lament, we see Jesus calling upon this. And so as we give our lament, as we wrestle with sin, as we deal with, like I said, death and brokenness in this world, as we seek for deliverance, as we long for heaven, as we live in this broken world that desperately needs God, or whatever else it is that would cause us to cry out to God, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. Thus let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that we see a pattern of lament in Psalm 5 and in John 17. We thank you, God, that you have not given us, uh, or that you have failed to give us uh, an instruction book, but rather you have. You have given us instruction on how to give proper lament because you know, God, that we do live in this broken world. You are actively involved in everything in our lives. You have not abandoned us, nor have you forsaken us. And God, in our brokenness, we know that you are near to us. May we be comforted by that. And may you, Jesus, be ultimately glorified. May we display to the world the hope that we have in our lament. May we display, Lord God, your goodness in our life, the grace that we have received. We do not mourn as those who have no hope mourn because we have hope. We have faith. Thank you for that, Jesus. We know that all these things are possible because of you. Thus we glorify you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.